Welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. Bosco and I have a very special episode for you. But before we get talking with our guest, I just wanted to apologize for the lack of new episodes over the last few weeks. We've been overhauling some of the workings here at the Deep State Radio headquarters, but now we're back and looking forward to a jam-packed summer. On today's episode, Bosco hoped we'd be joined by Henry the dog, but instead, our guest is no slouch himself. It's Henry's owner, former federal prosecutor, co-host of the It's Complicated podcast, and man who knows how to explain the law so we can all understand. Yes, my guest is Renato Mariotti. Uh, Before we get into the episode, a bit of housekeeping. All the recipes for this podcast and links can be found on my Substack newsletter at marissarothkopf.substack.com, along with a giant, I mean like huge, like over almost 200 recipes, um, recipes and stories of American kitchen history can be found on that Substack. So you can support my work with a subscription of about $5 a month, or if that's not possible yet, you can subscribe for free. And don't forget to join the Deep State Radio as a member for special perks. Either way, I am grateful for your support. And now, enough of me. Here's Renato. Hello and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. My very special guest today is Renato Mariotti. And I am going to Italy in a few months, so I'm trying to practice my um, Italian accent at least. And I'm not sure how I did. You did very well. Most Americans pronounce my first name Renato, like a deer, which that's not not so. That's not the way it's spelled. That's not the way it's pronounced. So yeah, kudos to you. Thanks. And there's also I have a British husband who has tried to teach our children that the letter T is pronounced T and not D. So thirty water and Renato. So, yes, written. <laughs> Yeah, for example, I, I pronounce T the T letter T that way as well. Very good. See, it's what it's there for. Anyway, you are here for a whole bunch of other things, not just to tell us how to properly pronounce the letter T. You yourself are the host of the um, of It's Complicated podcast with Asha Rungapa herself um, and former federal prosecutor. Um, you come fresh off of the television screen into your home studio to talk to us. So I'm grateful by us. I mean, me and my dog Bosco, who is looks like the opposite, like the yang or the yin to your Henry. He is the black version of Henry. Got it. Yeah. Henry, um, Henry is very active. He may play a role in this podcast. Uh, he, I just came off the joy Reed show and throughout the entire appearance, he was licking my hands. So I was like, at any moment, he likes jumping up when he wants my attention. So at any moment, like he could have made a very surprise appearance, very special appearance, uh, but that didn't happen. Um, does Henry come with his own opinions about what's going on in the news? Yes, they're generally very loud. Uh, he has an extraordinarily powerful bark for a medium-sized dog. <laughs> when he Does he use it a lot or is it one of those sort of... He, he uses it as a, a lot. So uh, my wife, Jamie, uh, when when Henry barks, 
her instinct as a mom, right, is to run around figuring out what does he need? Oh, it's like a baby's crying. Oh, does he want food? Does he want a toy? Does he want this or that? Does he want to go outside? And so he's learned, like, if he barks really loud, like, good things are going to happen. So there's a lot of barking in my house. Jamie, Jamie, your wife and I share have a lot of things in common in, as far as dog care is concerned. If he barks at a cat across the street, I will be the first person to encourage its behavior. And we have our own cats. But I, I want him to know that he's doing a good job, you know? Uh, but your wife, Jamie, um, because you, as you know, this is a podcast where we talk about food, but we also talk about politics and what's going on in the world. Um, today, on the food portion of the show, your wife, Jamie, features prominently, even though she's not with us on the podcast today, because she contributed the recipe which is apparently a favorite of yours and hers. Do you can do, do you do you know what it is? Yes, it's her, her famous scones. Are fantastic. She makes those. She makes those, and the only the only person unhappy about it is my personal trainer. Everyone else is thrilled. <laughs> it gives your personal trainer something to work with. Um, exactly. Um, I have all the ingredients here, so I'm going to be making them while talking to you. I feel that. Um, Carbs, um, over the past couple of weeks, carbs have had to play a more important role in my life than before. Um, the the um, scones that we're making, her recipe is for apricot orange scone, which has dried apricots in it and loads, extra orange zest in it, which I will definitely listen to. That was um, Jamie, to all of you listening out there, that was Jamie's recommendation before we started today. Um, so you as... We might as well jump right into it. I'm going to jump into making these scones, which take all of about four and a half seconds to mix together. It's just like <laughs> flour, a little bit of sugar, uh, salt, baking powder, uh, and um, flavorings. And then the fat is just, the fat is just, that's a nice way of saying it, heavy cream. There's no butter in this. <laughs> you know, your trainer should be happy that these are far more dietetic than the version that Ina Garten uses, which has butter and heavy cream. So, wow. you know, this is practically Weight Watchers right here. <laughs> <laughs> but while I'm mixing these up, um, as a former federal prosecutor, I kind of wondered, like, I know you're on TV all the time, but do you get much sleep? Do you spend a lot of time churning over what's going on? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I don't get much sleep, especially lately, um, because what you don't see, Marissa, is that I spend um, 90% or more of my time practicing law. So I have a very large, successful law practice. I'm a partner at a mega large law firm. I have clients all over the place. And so I'm like, you know, I've been the last several weeks, sometimes my podcasts, I don't have this awesome uh, setup that I have here because I've been traveling, you know, around the country taking depositions. So I, I it is what it is. I just, um, do this stuff in between. It's very much a side gig. Um, I don't make any money off it. I mean, I really lose money off of it, but it's a labor of love. I enjoy doing, I enjoy making a podcast. I, Asha is a good friend of mine. Um, and I really think there's an importance to educating the public. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I think the whole world of legal analysis is very distorted. There's um, incentives to distort um, information. 
And so I really try to cut through that as best I can. When you say that there are incentives to distort information, I mean, I know from the sort of the obvious, like as if or say we're like the lawyer for a president or, you know, something like that. I want to distort some information, but do you see it obviously, you know, on a, on a, on another level, like with pundits and things like that? For sure. So, you know, for example, there can you want, you know, ultimately TV networks want people to watch their shows. And so you, you know, little bits of news that are interesting, but are not that interesting can become very explosive and a bigger deal. Right. So, you know, you'll have, uh, you know, legal analysts, you know, say this is the biggest thing ever. Right. So like, for example, you know, we're, we're recording this, um, on the 21st, uh, and, you know, just yesterday, Donald Trump gave an interview uh, to Bill Barr on Fox News. Yeah, Britt Baer. It was a very bad. Yeah. Britt yeah. Baer, excuse me. Britt Baer. Bill Barr. Uh, yes, Britt, I, I have questions say, about both of them. So. Did I say but Bill Barr? Okay, I say Bill Barr. You know, I know why. I get, like we, we've already established I don't get enough sleep. But yeah, to Brent Baer on Fox News. And on that, you know, it was a bad idea. As a, somebody who represents criminal defendants, I would say it's a really bad idea. But like it turned into like the event of the century, right? If you watch cable news that night, I was traveling for work. So, you know, I, I didn't see the full onslaught of the cable uh, news uh, commentary on it, but I saw the clips online and it was just made like, this is it. This is the killer piece of evidence. And it is bad. It's not a good idea. But the thing is, Trump says really stupid things about his case all the time. So whether this is that additive on top of all the other stuff he said, and there was already kind of overwhelming evidence of a lot of these things. It's not like this was the first inkling we had that he knew there was a grand jury subpoena, right? It's not like he had, he was in a position to deny that before this interview. Right. So, I mean, it's interesting in fact, but I'll I'll tell you this, here's another um, kind of a more technical thing. I don't even know if I was the prosecutor trying this case against Donald Trump. Let's say we got to the criminal trial. I'm not even trying to introduce that in evidence. Why? Because amongst the nine harmful things he says, he'll have a couple things he'll say in there that are his defenses. And at trial, he could not introduce that tape. He couldn't introduce any of his statements that he's made or his truths or any of that stuff. He'd have to take the witness stand. So, if I was Jack Smith, I would say, well, you know what? If you want to get any of your crap in about the Presidential Records Act, then take the stand yourself, buddy, and let me cross-examine you. So I don't even know if it will, it'll actually matter at the trial. But it's it's fun to talk about, and it is it is kind of hilarious that he goes on TV and says incriminating things. But like, it's, it's fascinating news, but the, the public can get an outsized view of it. Now that now that that's a small thing, and that's because that, that's a, just a matter of degree. But a lot of times, there are analysts on there predicting, you know, this and that and the other thing, and and a lot of those predictions don't come true. Um, think about the Mueller investigation. How many people are on television convincing you that Donald Trump was about to go home in leg irons? Right. So there's an element to which, if you if you tweet out something that everyone think wants to be the case, they'll retweet it. And if you tweet out a very re- a very um, real version of that, like if I tweeted out what I just told you about, well, this, this interview is interesting, but it's not going to really matter. Like no one's going to retweet that, right? No one's going to like that. No one's going to pay p- attention to it. And no one's going to want to book you to talk about that on television. And so I, I try to be grounded in what I say 
uh, on television. I mean, it can be, I could try to say it in an interesting way, but I don't uh, try to say anything that uh, is uh, outside the, um, the, the corners of what's real. Yeah. I, I've, I've noticed that about you and I've always appreciated that about you. It's this sort of grounded quality. That's a very good way of saying it um, because there is so much, I think the word in Yiddish is chazarai, which sort of means pig mess, um, which you can imagine, right? <sighs> um, that's go that goes on, and um, it's it's hard for the news to um, be sensible all the time. Yeah, it ends up really distorting people's views of things. So, for example, a lot of the public was absolute has absolutely been convinced that Donald Trump has been has been committed so many crimes. They're so easy to prove that any idiot could prosecute them. And so when they, it didn't happen, they're like, well, Mueller's garbage. He's a bad prosecutor. Um, now, he may have been overly fair in, certain, in terms of how he characterized certain things, but I, I would not characterize him as a bad prosecutor or, not a, you know, or whatever. So I, there are certain arguments you can make and certain criticisms, but you know, some of the criticisms, whether it's of Garland or Mueller or others, I am critical of them in certain respects. And I've come out and said that, but the, the criticism is often distorted amongst the public about with unrealistic expectations created by analysts. And unrealistic expectations by those of us who watch the news with bated breath every day, right? Because there's no way to control. I mean, there's a lot of emotion for a lot of us in all of this, whether you're on one side or the other. So anything that sort of feeds that emotion, which news has to do in a way, right? Because they have advertisers and want to make sure that I'm paying attention, will do. Um, I want to point out, speaking of expectations, that I have already mixed the dough right here. I have used blueberries instead of um, dried apricots just because the way things were today, I couldn't do it. But I also want to point out that this fantastic recipe also contains white chocolate chunks. So this is not like, this is not your, I, I hear a knowing mm, on your side of the, <laughs> um, I, I've, I've grown to like white chocolate. I have a lot more respect for it than I used to. I'm just saying. My children have taught me that respect, but that's not the most interesting thing that's going on today. Um, There's been some stuff going on as I, was just getting ready to talk to you. So this will be old news by the time this shows up in everyone's um, ears on Saturday. Adam Schiff was just censured on the floor. Um, do I do I have to take that seriously? Not really. I mean, it doesn't really mean much of anything. I, I think it's fair to say that um, the House Republicans in particular, but the Republican Party more generally, has been taken over by Donald Trump and his followers. Um, I do think there's more of a schism than there has been in the past. I do follow a lot of right wingers on on Twitter, and people occasionally tweet at me. And they're like, "Why are you following you know this awful misogynistic evil person?" It's like, well, I want to hear what they're saying, and I want to see kind of what's going on. I think we have to. We all have to stay aware of each other. Yeah, it's very helpful for me to sort of hear what they're what they're saying. But uh, one thing that's interesting is there's more of a divide than there's ever been on that side of the aisle. More criticism of Trump. It's interesting to see. But yeah, he's got loyal following, particularly in the House. Kevin McCarthy is speaker in part, large part, because of Donald Trump. I think it's fair to say that Trump was the difference maker given the slim margin uh, there. 
And so, yeah, I think this is just purely, you know, kowtowing to Trump. Now, I, I actually think from a partisan perspective, that's great for the Democratic Party. In other words, how, the Republicans don't have really a policy agenda other than maybe attacking LGBTQ people, as far as I could tell. Um, and they're not getting a lot of things done, but it's bad for our country. And, you know, I will say it is, you know, just the latest and it's in a hyper, it's a, it's, it's a big change. It's sort of putting on hyperdrive the way that our Congress has been for a long time. You know, I, um, interned when I was in law school for a Senator named Paul Wellstone. You may, I remember him. Yep. Kind of a progressive uh, icon. And I remember, you know, when I was a young man going on the Senate floor with him and being like, there's no one here. Like you're talking to an empty room and being in these meetings where the staff are effectively talking to each other. Cause the lawmakers don't really have any clue of some of the details of what's going on in these bills. Right. I mean, <clears throat> as a practical matter, our politics is very focused on, um, you know, political leaders raising money. And it's very, you know, there's a lot of things that are problematic about the system. And so, you know, the fact that we now live in a, in a world where one of the political parties is not focused on governance at all and is focused on clips on Fox news. Um, it's really deeply troubling, but it's a symptom of a, of a bigger and broader problem. Exactly. Um, which sort of leads me to, one of the topics I I almost don't want to address just because I, I it's sort of I, I don't, I don't want to almost bring any more attention to it than is necessary, but it's in the news this week. And so I do want to talk. Do you want to guess what it is? I don't want to talk about um, you know, the submersible. I'm trying to. Oh, my God. What, I really what? I really don't want to talk about the submersible. Yeah, I was on the CNN today. That seemed like I, I was the only not that was the only thing I was the only piece of that entire hour that was not about that submarine like i got as i the, the segment before me was about it the segment after i didn't watch any of the rest of the hour but i'm like man this is just a lot of the submarine you know do geez. you think if, that actually wasn't what i wanted to talk about but do you think those families have some sort of lawsuit going i mean it turns out there's some sort of evidence here that people knew that things were not quite right with that submersible maybe um i mean they also uh, at least from sitting there on the waiting for my turn to be on air uh, the guy in front of me was some guy who had been on it before. It's like, yeah, I signed like so many different waivers a mile long and the word death was in there all the, all the, all, all throughout it. And I believe that I'm, when I entered it, this might be my last night on earth or I, so I figured, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's an interesting issue. Um, but I'm not going to even try to dissect that one, uh, without knowing more. Facts. Right. I, fine. A fair answer. I do wish I'd been the person who booked him because he had the perfect answer um, just to, to know the ins and outs of that um, legal document he had to sign. And the thing I didn't really want to talk about, but well, I, I do, you have tweeted about it and you offered some really interesting insight, which was about Hunter Biden and the cases, oh, sure. cases brought against him this week. And I think one of the things that you talked about, and I, I'd love it if you can shed some light on it was to me, and I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV. And as obviously, I don't even play one here on a podcast. Um, but it just doesn't strike me as the most dirty case if it were appealed. I don't know 
how that, you know, how it really works. But you talked about how, um, like in the case of Wesley Snipes conspiracy to defraud the federal government case that people, they threw in what misdemeanor backstops, which I thought was such a fantastic phrase. And you said, even yourself as a, as a lawyer would, will throw that in, use them in cases. And I would love to have, let people understand what it means to, to have a misdemeanor backstop and how, how they use, how to use them. Sure. So to give some context here, just so in case people have been spending more time making scones than keeping track I, of what's going I'd on. I'd like to interrupt Biden. and just point out to you right here that the scones are already made. So in, in oh, the span of less than 15 minutes, we have gone, we are at full scone. You know, now you know why, why my, my wife likes that recipe so much. <laughs> I may, I, it, yeah, I think it's fantastic, but yet it takes 15 minutes of effort. But just to give some background, just to give some context here, Hunter Biden, of course, is the president's son. And the right wing is, I think, made him out into some supervillain. I mean, if you watch Fox News or any of these other right wing outlets, like he's done everything evil you could possibly imagine. Um, you know, he's a, he's a supervillain, he's whatever. Thanos and uh, you know Kang the Conqueror and all the all the the comic book villains wrapped up into one, um, and he ended up coming to an agreement with federal prosecutors in which he's pleading guilty to two misdemeanor charges of failure to pay taxes. We'll get to back to that in a minute, and then a he's pleading he's admitting guilt regarding a felony offense of possessing a firearm while he's an, an addict. And, but he's getting what's called pretrial diversion for that, which is essentially where it's, it's, it's a very, it's a favorable, uh, um, uh, resolution for the defense where basically you're on like supervision of sorts for a period of time. And if you stay, if you stay good and don't, you know, break the law during that period of time, you essentially nothing ever happens. If you do break the law, then you get convicted of this felony. Now, what I what I was trying to do, so I told you I follow all these right wingers. There was all sorts of misinformation going out there, and it was pe- by people who were very deliberately spreading di- disinformation, not the sort of inherent biases I was talking about earlier, but people who are really peddling in untruths. And you know, just to give some context here, there is a lot of there are a lot of gun crimes that are charged. There's a lot of tax crimes that are charged. Those are like bread and butter charges but they generally aren't these particular crimes. And so I was trying to provide all sorts of context to people. I mean, that Wesley Snipes example is one that a right-wing commenter made trying to argue to me that that Wesley Snipes, you know, was was hit hard and and uh Hunter Biden got it, uh, got off easy essentially. So let me just say so there are what when a lot of times people when, when they think of a tax crime, they always use the word tax evasion. In fact, I saw it a lot on, on the internet yesterday when they were talking about Hunter Biden tax evasion. Tax evasion is a felony. That is where you are willfully trying to evade taxes through some affirmative means, like you're using various, um, you know, shenanigans to try to fool the government into not finding your money. I have charged people with tax evasion. The most typical sort of charge that is charged is something you can call a tax fraud. It's where you make false statements on your tax returns knowingly in an effort to trick the, the IRS. Those are sort of the bread and butter tax charges that federal prosecutors charge. When you charge those, you often include charges that are easier to prove. 
So one of those charges that's very common is failure to file your income tax returns. If you fail to file your return, like let's just say you fell asleep and you just forgot or you forgot about it, you're going through a difficult time, maybe you're depressed, maybe you're whatever and you're submersible, you're not paying attention, that's a misdemeanor. But it's super easy to prove. Like you don't need, I mean, you probably don't even need to go to law school to prosecute that case. You do put a witness up from the IRS. Oh, did you receive the tax return? Uh, no, we did not. Like you could verify, you know, whatever. That we don't have the tax return. That's it. The case, it's open and shut. It's like ridiculously easy to prove. So you kind of include those as a backstop. So then when the defendant is is thinking about going to trial, they're like, okay, well, it's guaranteed that I'm going to be guilty on these five misdemeanors because I didn't file for five years. So do we really, and that's all good. The jury is going to have to give a, find us guilty on that. So do we really want to go to you know trial on this tax evasion charge? So my point that I was trying to make online was I threw in these failure to files all the time when I was charging people with actually very serious felony tax, tax counts. But I don't remember ever bringing a case like, like we're going to spend all these resources and work up a case to file a misdemeanor for somebody who just didn't file their taxes. That's handled civilly. They just throw a bunch of fines on the person and or penalties and just deal with it that way. Um, because somebody is usually not going to even go to prison for a misdemeanor. So that's the sort of thing you don't bother with. I learned later, by the way, when I really looked at it, Hunter Biden was actually not even charged with failure to file. He's charged with failure to pay, uh, which is an even kind of a, a, a even less of an impressive uh, misdemeanor. It's essentially, you did file, but you just didn't pay you the full amount. Um, that's almost never charged. I, mean, I, I, I never heard of charging it. Um, similarly, the, and I had similar, uh, a similar take towards the, the gun charge as well. That's re- very interesting. So it, it really makes you uh, wonder if there was some other reason for charging Hunter Biden with stuff. But uh, maybe. Um, well, I just say, Marissa, I'll give you a theory, which is the sort of thing I don't usually do on, on Twitter or, some, or on television, but I'm happy to do it here on the podcast, which is it's just a theory. You know, this is a prosecutor who was looking at the president of the United States son. There's going to be a lot of scrutiny. He had spent a lot of years investigating Hunter Biden and didn't come up with much. And so I think, you know, he had every incentive to go hard on Hunter Biden because even really hard. This is not a, you know, very problematic resolution. In other words, if I was Hunter Biden's attorney, I'd be like, yeah, take it, man. I mean, they can prove these things that they want to. But rolling the dice and, and you know, saying, hey, may, charge me, go ahead and charge me. Like, if you're John Doe, maybe, because, like, is this really worth the bother? Um, you might convince him not to. But I think, so that's why I think he got a harsh treatment. Because I think they kind of had to charge him in order to just show that they weren't playing favorites. That makes absolute sense. Um, it's a very good working theory. I put, I, I support that working theory. Also in um, news today, uh, well, uh, here's this. I, I'll give you two words, okay? And you tell me what it makes you think of, all right? Are you ready? You ready? All right. Multisyllabic words here, so I'll try and do it. Okay. Judicial probity. Okay, that's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that makes me think of. That's a bad choice of words. Um, okay. Um, I'll try something else. Samuel, uh, Justice Alito's uh, <laughs> he, uh, op-ed oh, piece the whole, for yeah. the Wall Street Journal. 
Yeah. Any thoughts on that? I mean, I mean, did you, you've well, been flying this week. Was it on a friend's private jet because you thought it'd be cheaper than first class? Cause the plane was going anyway. It was not. No, it was on coach on American Airlines. So no, it was not. Um, so yeah, I, I, I hear you on it and I have to be careful. Okay. Because I am a, uh, uh, like I said, I'm a partner in a law firm. We have cases that are in front of the Supreme Fair Court. Enough. If you're not comfortable to answer it, you don't have to answer the question at all. Well, I'll just say this. Uh, I'll say this. I mean, I think judges have to be concerned about the appearance of impropriety. The fact that we're on a podcast talking about it is a problem for the United States Supreme Court. One thing that's probably apparent to you, Marissa, is that the United States Supreme Court can't is not really policed by others very effectively. And for a whole host of reasons. And it is not; it does not really police itself uh, much either. And there are all sorts of reasons why that is, and why it's very complicated. We could have a whole episode of the "It's Complicated" podcast about that. But the bottom line is, the Supreme Court doesn't really answer to anyone, and that's why I think it's interesting. This is the one of the first times. I mean, this, and I've obviously there was a, a, a similar piece on Justice Thomas. It's one of the first times that we've seen really, I would say, incisive reporting on uh, that's publicly discussed. In other words, there have been interesting reports about justices in the past. In fact, there have been leaked opinions in the past, but it hasn't had quite the impact. I think we're seeing the impact of having a democratization of the media. In other words, we used to have, when I was a young man, uh, we used to have like three or four TV networks and like two newspapers in Chicago. And you basically, if you read, you had, that was your, those are your sources of news. Um, they all were fairly similar to one another. They had different flavors of each other because they were all kind of appealing to the same common denominator. And everyone kind of had to get the same news source. There are benefits to that, which is that less extreme views like out there, disinformation, but the downside is that that some sometimes there's less dissemination of views that not everyone would want or aired. A big corporation might not, um, you know, may not fight to uh, get something aired about the Supreme Court justices. Now you're seeing that. And I think the Supreme Court's going to have to take that into account and consider going forward how they're going to deal with, you know, polls that show a lack of confidence in the Supreme Court. Or less confidence. Um, I think that's a really good way to look at it. I think we do spend, we have, you know, um, with respect to your position in a law firm, but also I think it's a good way to look at it for, for all of us to look at it from a historical point of view as well, right? Like there is, there's a, some sort of sh shift in media that's also making some of these things um, be noticed more. Yeah. And I think that's right, Marissa. I, I, I think you're right about that. I think that it's fair to say that the shift that we're seeing is, has positives and negatives. I mean, we're, we talk about, I spent all the time talking about disinformation online and all these online trolls with their misinformation. But at the same time, you know, the, it, the fact that there's more sunlight on all sorts of things is generally a good thing. Absolutely. And yep. yeah, so I think there's benefits and drawbacks. And now we're seeing one of the, one of the consequences, which is, uh, judges now are under more scrutiny than they ever have been in the past. And that's, that's an okay thing. I mean, it's, it's better for justice overall. I think that's right. Uh, look, I think that public officials, there should be a lot of transparency about what they're doing. And uh, I think that's the best disinfectant. 
uh, doesn't always work. I mean, Donald Trump, it's fairly transparent what he's trying to do and people, uh, enough people are okay with it that he's got a political career still. But I think that in general, that's the right, uh, the right way to go. A question, speaking of transparency, um, we have a man like uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr being very beyond transparent, very open in his opinions, which is, to me, sort of a little odd, considering that he once was somebody who really had was supposed to be very buttoned up as Attorney General. Yeah, 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 nobody write me notes. I know, I know, it was all different. But um, should we believe someone like Barr when he says he thinks that Trump should be indicted? Well, I mean, what I would say is Barr's legal analysis regarding the Mar-a-Lago matter, uh, even before indictment, but certainly the indictment since, is really spot on. I mean, I agree with his analysis completely. It's very well done. I mean, it shows he's a very intelligent man. I also think that Barr, when he was in office, I actually think he showed a lot of intelligence, but it was in a devious way. I mean, I think what I found very interesting about Barr and I said often at the time, because and people would get mad at me, I would always, when I would tweet a lot about what Barr was doing, I would always use the word misleading instead of lying. And people hate it. They're like, say he's lying. It's that you're, you're using these fan, you know, weasel words. I'm like, no, it's not a weasel word. Because what Barr is doing is actually worse. Barr would say things that were technically true. And he would do it in a way to make it sound highly misleading to help Trump in some way. And he deliberately, the, 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 to me, that's even worse. It shows that you actually know what the truth is and you're trying, you know, it, it shows like to me a greater understanding. You're not just some dumbass out there lying. You're somebody who's actually really smart and clever and trying to manipulate the public. Alan Dershowitz is that he's way. The we- he's yeah. the weasel. It's not your words. There's a real weasel out there. Yeah, I think, yeah, he is. That is how I, but that is how I view him. Yeah, I view Alan Dershowitz that way as well. Very similar person who purposely misleads um uh he's gotten worse and worse about it over time but it's he'll uh, he you know particularly in the beginning of the Mueller stuff he would say things that were technically true but were highly misleading and uh that's that's who Barr was he was somebody who was very much carrying an agenda for trump now he's decided trump's made him an enemy so he's like okay now i'm gonna just speak my mind about trump and so now we're seeing that, like, yes, he does have two eyes, two ears, and common sense when it comes to uh, a man that he's not beholden to, right? But before, uh, you know, he did this whole hiding the Mueller report, you know, introducing a letter that was highly misleading where he would put dot, 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 and, you know, you know, carve out things around sentences to sort of have half the sentence, but not the rest of the sentence. It was very, uh, very cleverly uh, done a way to, you know, very clever uh, effort to deceive. Um, can I, I, I'm very conscious of your time. My scones are about to come out of the oven. You probably should do things like eat dinner and I don't know, go back on MSNBC or something like that or CNN, but um, sort of one last question, sort of, because it can be a big question. Um, <laughs> are you concerned about the health of Donald Trump's lawyers? No, <laughs> the poor guys. I, I don't know why I should feel sorry for them. They know what they're getting into, but it must give them palpitations to see him on TV. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'll say that I think, you know, there's one guy who got paid a $3 million retainer. And, you know, and he, I think everyone at this point knows who, what they're getting into with Trump. In other words, 
if you sign up with Trump now, you know that you're going to be known across the country as Trump's lawyer. You're, when your name is Google, that's what's going to come up. And you know who the guy is by now. I mean, you've seen how he's behaved through criminal investigations because he's already been investigated for in very serious criminal investigations. You've seen how he's behaved in civil lawsuits. Uh, I think he's revealed himself for who he is. So I don't really feel bad for anyone who's decided to hitch their wagon to Donald Trump. You know, I just similarly, I don't feel bad for anyone who hitches their wagon to, let's say, Elon Musk or something, right? I mean, in other words, you see who the person is, um, and at that point, you've made your you've made your your mind up. I, that's a very very good point, and it's a it's a good lesson for a lot of us in, in general. Um, but the um, how does there's a, it seems very complicated how classified evidence rules work, and I was wondering if you can sort of help us understand where we might end up. And I don't, I don't believe it will be, I think it'll be 2024 before we even hear this, um, see this thing go to trial in front of Judge Cannon. I mean, try 2025. I think that's very likely. I wrote my last column in Politico. I need to be, sadly, after I get done with this podcast, after I write my next one. But my last column in Politico was about the trial date. Very, could be a lot of people angry and unpopular where I said that it's going to happen after the election. I mean, what I would say to you is it's not inconceivable that this trial could occur before the election, but that would require Donald Trump wanting that to happen, Donald Trump's team wanting that to happen, the judge wanting that to happen, and everyone, those two and the prosecutors all working together to make it happen. If Donald Trump's team doesn't want it to happen before the election, they have many tools at their disposal to ensure that it doesn't. So it'd be hard for me to imagine that it would go to to trial before the election unless they wanted it to. But anyways, getting back to the evidentiary issues, there's something that is very um, incongruent or, or uh, there's a tension uh, that a- exists when there's national security cases. So ordinarily, one of the features of our criminal justice system is first of all that the defendant has full knowledge and access to the evidence and the witnesses against him or her so that for example the defendant you know sees those witnesses can cross examine those witnesses there's a con- something called the confrontation clause in the constitution where you can confront the witnesses against you you also have the right you know like i said you have the right to have all the evidence that the government could use and everything that the government possesses that could be useful for your defense it needs to come over to you but separately, um, the public has a right to, so we have a right to have a public trial in the United States. And so news organizations will often sue to get access to court proceedings. That though is a tension with secrecy, right? In other words, if you want, if the whole trial is about our nation's biggest secrets and the government has a strong interest in keeping things secret, well, a criminal trial is not a very good way of keeping anything a secret. Um, typically as soon as something's an exhibit, it's released to the press. I would literally, I would get all my a PDF. So when the press was interested in one of my cases, I would basically, you know, have PDFs of all my exhibits and it would go on a drive and the press would get a, you know, a, a, a thumb drive or whatever with all my exhibits because they were introduced in court. So they're fair game. And the press, you know, usually is sitting in there in the courtroom and they're sketch artists and they're whatever. So um, there are a lot of tools that the government has used 
to try to limit the impact of the need for you know for the of the constitutional rights. Let's put it this way: of the public and of the, more importantly of the defendant in national security cases. One dilemma for the government in this case is: do they want to you to try to um, use those tools? which um, are controversial, which can be attacked by the defense because they, you know, there's an argument to be made that they don't afford the full rights to the defense that they deserve. In the, Do they want to use those in this case when the defendant's name is Donald Trump and the judge's name is Eileen Cannon? My, my uh, suspicion is, or I'd say my judgment would be, let's put it that way, instead of predicting, my judgment would be let's not use those tools because we want to have them available in future cases. And this is not the case where we want to test the legality of these rules or these tools, but they, the justice department may decide otherwise, given the, the very serious nature of the secrets involved. Uh, one thing is for sure, any th- these, the use of any tool like that would give Donald Trump the opportunity to litigate and under the relevant statute, he'd get what's called an interlocutory appeal. In other words, the ability to appeal immediately kind of pause the proceedings, go right up on appeal. Um, that is not conducive to uh, things happening in a very speedy manner. And he's also not known as the king of speedy as far as trials concerned. He's really... Right. King. I don't know. I mean, no defendant... Yeah, well, that's that's right. And any defendant in this circumstance would delay. I mean, if, this, if I was representing this client, he's in his 70s, right? Mid-70s. Um, and he's got all sorts of arguments he can make or whatever the, the evidence is absolutely damning why not take your time with this case why would you be in any hurry to get to the finish line in this one so yeah um i guess on that note we have to kind of come to our own finish line here but that's it does lay it all out there very clearly about what the next couple of years will look like for us and for him well m- Marissa, we have a saying on my podcast. I'm often called the sad panda, and there's a, we're, we're trying to come up with the, the appropriate sound effect for that. So yeah, there you go. So like I said, uh, some some of some of my opinions are not always retweeted, but I, I will tell you, somebody who litigates criminal cases on a regular basis across the country, um, uh, what I'm telling you is congruent with my experience, for what it's worth. You don't seem like that sad a panda. Maybe you're maybe you're smart panda. Maybe you're a sensible panda. I'll take How about it. sensible panda. I, now that I like, that I like sensible that. Panda. Sensible panda. I mean, panda. how many sense? I mean, pandas spend a lot of time at, from all the videos I've seen, like rolling down slides or getting scared <laughs> by their babies sneezing. And so maybe you're not that panda. Maybe you're the panda who takes it all in his stride, who tells the zookeepers what to do and knows what's happening next. There you go. Uh, I'm eating my bamboo and very, very sensible uh, in doing so. Um, and uh, here's to you. Um, I'm about to take these scones out of the oven, which smell delicious. Um, I'm sorry you don't have one to aid in your writing of your political column, but maybe you could, in 15 minutes or less, you can have them baking. It's the wonderful thing. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bug my wife to make some scones. <laughs> Keep you going. Um, thank you very you much go. for being my guest today. And thank you for the terrific recipe. And thank you for the insights. You're welcome, Marissa, anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow Renato on Twitter and listen to the It's Complicated podcast wherever fine pods are potted. Recipes and links to everything you want and need can be found at marissarothkopf.substack.com. Please have a great week.